0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Hugh. Get the privilege of being one of the uh, pastors here, and it's a joy to be preaching this morning. Uh, turn to someone next to you and say, "Happy Bugs Bunny Day!" <laughs> Did you know it was National Bugs Bunny Day? I don't know if it is here in the UK, um, but it is World Pinhole Photography Day. Did you know that? There you go. It is National Bubble Tea Day. Has anyone had bubble tea? Yeah, very good. And I could keep going. It's National Raisin Day. I'm not sure whether, I think that's the raisins you eat as opposed for, let's just pray for people to be raised from the dead. Um, It's National Honesty Day. So turn to the person and ask them anything you want. uh, (laughs) Um, Very good. Well, if you have your Bibles... uh, Send with me to the book of Ephesians, that would be great. Just to say, um, for Pentecost Sunday, um, we were together last year with a whole bunch of churches. There are about 700 of us in Charter Hall, and we don't get many opportunities to join with other believers in particularly ways that we would express our worship similarly in such a big scale in Colchester. So it'll be a great time. So please, 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 can you try and prioritize that Sunday? You, as Deb said, you'll find the details if you really want them online. But there will be a great Sunday to be together. And it's just off the bottom of Castle Park. So why don't you bring a picnic and we can all ad hoc. Just go for a picnic in Castle Park afterwards together. Anyone up for that? That would be great. And invite some friends. So be at leisure. And you get cheaper parking if you want to go shopping in town afterwards. So um, if that wasn't incentive enough, um, hopefully that will, that will serve you. Um, and you won't be able to sign up to man camp yet, but it's just to save the date for now. And we'll let you know. And it's just a one-night getaway. Um, you can just come for the evening if you don't want to camp. But um, Uh, That would be absolutely fine. Let's pray for a moment and then I'll dive in. Lord Jesus, we thank you we get to declare great truths that have been made true in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And as we look at your word now, I pray you would help us to see, to grasp, and to live in the good of, of all that you show us. For those who don't follow you this morning, Lord, and have come here seeking you, I pray you'd make yourself known to them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today is part two of our sermon series in Ephesians. The books I have handed out, we're not following along exactly with those, but there will be a great daily little 3A5-page accompaniment to the series. Please do get them online if you don't have one. Uh, They're full of great truth and will accompany the series really, really well. And today, my title is very simple. It's just called Blessed. Can you say blessed? Um, Because Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 to 14 is just two sentences in the original language. And what we're focusing on today verses 3 to 14 is just one long sentence that is a barrage of blessing for those who are in Christ. Paul opens up this letter and he just pours forth lots and lots of reasons to rejoice so last week I introduced a series just saying we'll be particularly looking at threads of identity, purpose, and belonging. And that as Christians, God calls us to things and promises us things. But unless we have the right identity document stamped with our identity in Christ, we won't necessarily be able to get to enjoy those things as fully as we might otherwise. Because we need the right identity Um, being a stalwart for our hearts and our souls to enjoy all that God has for us. And the the, the overarching identity is that of being in Christ. We'll talk a little bit about that this morning as well. But I just want to spend the next, however long it is, just giving you reason upon reason. We're going to look at six particularly, but there, there could be more. Amalgamated, son. Reasons to rejoice if you are in Christ. So it's a good news morning. You can smile. It's a good. sometimes you come to a, a preacher and it's uh, a lot weightier in terms of knowing it will kind of bear on our hearts in a different kind of way. And I trust today is weighty, but wonderful. Um, that's the word of God. It's full of truth and it's full of, full of life. and I don't know what kind of state you're in this morning. Uh, maybe you're like top of the world, the sun's shining. Who spent the afternoon in the sun yesterday? Who's a bit sunburnt and got the red ears? That's me. Um, so wh- whatever the reason the sun's shining, it's a bank holiday weekend, um, whatever it might be, some of us are feeling on top of the world, okay? Tottenham didn't lose yesterday. Graham, I don't support Tottenham. I just know, it, I knew it would land with you, okay? Um, uh, other, and, and yet others of us uh, you struggle to even get here today, and you just you, you're carrying the weight of the world, or you have been for months. Uh, illness, long-term wrestles and struggles. This is one of the the joys and challenges of being a church. Uh, we get to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and mourn with those who are mourning. And in a room like this, will be people in all sorts of places uh, in their lives. Just this week, on Friday, I had two calls with friends, and they had received pretty devastating news about those very close to them. With bowel cancer and it was going to change their lives forever. And you think, some of you are carrying stuff like that today. Uh, Others of you are carrying some very, very different challenges. And because of that and those things, we will always have temptation to be up and down in our lives, won't we? Uh, Up one day, down the next, unless we have a robust, significant Weighty grounding and ballast in something else that endures through all those things. And so, when the world is great and the sun is shining, you get to enjoy it. But actually, there is a richer, deeper, more constant well of security there. And when life sucks and stinks and is broken and it's week after week of that, we're not in total and utter despair. Full of mourning and groaning, but we have this bedrock of identity and security that we have in God. And so today, I want to barrage you with truth that will be an anchor for your soul, no matter what is going on in life. And that's not something we just say, because this this blessing, this wonder that I'm going to read to you was written by a guy who was in prison. Okay, it kind of helps, doesn't it? It's fine for you to write something nice when life is good for you, and Paul would have experienced all different kinds of prison when he wrote this. Um, it might not have been the worst kind, but you know, prison back then was not like prison now. In most of the, you know, um, there would have been shackles, probably hunger, probably loneliness. You would have been cold, maybe not his current imprisonment, but he would have tasted and seen all of that. Even when he said we despaired even to the end of our lives. And yet he speaks these things. So we can't just say, oh, nice, nice fluffy words. The person who speaks these has been lashed and gone through and probably done more horrendous things than us in this room persecuting, overseeing the killing of Christians before he got saved, and then he got saved and following Jesus. So these are weighty and yet wonderful, wonderful words. A friend of mine, Andrew Wilson, he says that he thinks. This is the happiest opening to any letter in human history. That's quite a claim, isn't it? The happiest opening to any letter in human history. It's one long sentence summarizing a way of life that has changed the world. It's a good news day. Hallelujah. So what we're going to do is we're going to read these verses, and then we're going to unpack. What uh, Today's probably less unpacking. But it's a just declaring some of these blessings. And the series will, in different ways, unpack these truths as we go. But as we read these verses, I just want you to pay attention to the phrase, in Christ. Can you say, in Christ? Yes. So these are true of you if you are in Christ. And they're not true of you if you're not in Christ. And so they are an invitation. If you're not a believer, if you've been invited along, or you're just checking out church, or maybe you're not walking with God and you know you're a million miles away, and these are an invitation to have these blessings if you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, they're beautiful. I don't know if anyone's been upgraded on an airplane. Anyone ever been upgraded on an airplane? Some, some people, okay? I've not been upgraded on an airplane yet, Lord. Give me some more sermon illustrations so I can, so I can share that. Um, But I have been in situations where I've gone along with someone else and I have been treated in a way and I have been blessed in a way and I have been lavished with stuff in a way because I'm with them. You know, so again, a friend of mine got upgraded on a plane because they knew the pilot and they got treated, you know, the luxury reclining seat. They got pampered the whole flight as if they were that person. So that's the sense of what it is to be in Christ. It's to be treated as you were that person when you don't deserve it and you could not earn it. Yeah. So that's kind of what it means to be in Christ. We have our friends in high places, hallelujah. And uh, not that it works like this, but when we get to the pearly gates and they ask us, why should I let you into heaven? Um, we get to say, well, I'm with him. <laughs> you know, There's a guy on the cross that I could come. And then they're like, oh, of course you can come in. We get treated in a different way because we are in him. And we get recipients of blessing because we are in him. So if you are a Christian, this is true of you. And if you're looking in, you're invited to come and enjoy this in all its fullness. So let's read the verses together. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us In Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, could be full stop there. Every spiritual blessing. That's quite a significant thing. And then he goes on and starts to unpack a little bit maybe of what that is. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, or in Christ. In him, or in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11. who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. These are beautiful verses and truths in our Christian life. And one of the things when we gather together and we sing and we pray and we declare things and we hear this language of an overflow of some heavenly adoration and someone gives us a flavor of it, part of that is for you to hear the people next to you. And to think, this is true. And it brings this truth into your soul. And when you sing, it's like nothing else singing, isn't it? If you don't sing out, I really want to encourage you. Because through the ages, vocalizing and singing is a way that has always been used to engage truth with the heart. And I'll say truth with the soul. As we sing it, it brings forth something, doesn't it? You often have to fight through stuff, self-consciousness what will people think? What will people think? the sound of my voice isn't a blessing? You know, that's why I've always sat at the front of church, literally, when I was a young man, because I didn't have a great voice, so I'd sit near the speakers, so I could belt it out and not hinder anyone else. Okay? It brings forth something, because you are declaring truth. You're declaring truth. You're declaring truth and you're singing to your soul. So as much as it's natural for some, many in the room are singing with gusto because they are catching their souls up into these things. So let's unpack them, shall we? It's a good news day. So number one, chosen. So you are chosen. Can you say chosen? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he... Shows us in Him before the foundation of the world. That we should be blameless before Him. And that we should be holy. If this is true of you... You're in Christ, you're a Christian. Whatever your earthly reason for becoming a Christian is, maybe you grew up in a Christian family and then you came to see the gospel for yourself. Maybe you went to a school that was Christian. Maybe you grew up in a nation that's very overtly Christian. Whatever the reason in earthly terms you became a Christian, the reality behind that is it's because God chose you. It's the ultimate reason is that God chose you. And this is a great insurance And a great encouragement when you are struggling to be holy and blameless. Because he chose you to be something. That's why God chose you. He chose you to become something. He's invested in this. It's his purpose. He didn't wait for you to be holy and blameless and then choose you. Otherwise, all of us would be red buzzer. You can see watching BGT at the moment. We were chosen to be something. Now, we'll talk a little bit about this in other ways, but... Theologians might call this election, and I know some of us think, God, God's elected me, so do my choices matter? If God chooses, do my choices matter? Anyone ever ask that question? That's a good theological question, but Paul doesn't even go there when he speaks about these truths. He declares them as a great encouragement for us. And It's a good question to ask, and we struggle, don't we, to think if that's true, that can't be true. <laughs> Often the Bible says that's true and that's true. So the Bible says God chose you, you had no choice, God chose you, but your human choices really matter. Both are, both are true, and sometimes there's a mystery in that we just have to. But Paul uses it as a great encouragement. Okay. And so when we think about, did I choose to follow God or did God choose me? Yes and yes. One illustration someone put, it's like when you walk through a door, it says, open to all comers. And you choose to walk through the door, right? You walk through the door. And then you look back on the door, and on the other side it says chosen. Both are equally true. It's God's choosing of you and your choice. But before all of it and undergirding it is that God chose you. It's not an ac- you are not an accident. You are not unwanted. And those words can just wash over us, can't they? Uh, they can just wash over us and uh, praise God if you've grown up in a secure Steady family where you've never questioned being loved or wanted. But for many in the room, there'll be heaps of stories of, of brokenness and not wanting, not, not knowing that. And we can gee ourselves up and say, I'm important. I can't because I've contributed. That, that may be true. But listen, you are wanted. You are chosen. With whatever baggage you're carrying, with whatever baggage I'm carrying, God chooses us. It's a, it's, it's, it's a ballast for the soul. I'm not accidentally So there are times in my life when I, I, know, I know without a doubt, praise God, that I'm saved. <laughs> I just, I, I know in my knower. There's times I look at my life and think, well, where are the signs that I'm spiritually alive at all? They can be flash moments or it can be a season. You think that At the end of the day, I know that God chose me to be something. And he will bring his work to completion. You are chosen. Can you say chosen? Chosen. Chosen. Number two, you are adopted. Can you say adopted? adopted? He predestined us, verse five, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the Beloved, we were chosen, predestined, elected, however you want to phrase it before, the foundation of the world to be adopted as his child. And this is brilliant because the Bible talks about justification. The, The justification when God says you are righteous and you welcome in, but it also speaks about adoption. And the picture of justification is a law court. The picture of adoption is that of a family, right? In the law court picture, God is the judge. In the Adoption picture, God is your father. In the law court setting, you are the defendant, (laughs) uh, 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 and you get declared free and righteous, which is wonderful. In the adoption picture, you're an orphan, and you get put into a family, and you get given a father. It's the warmest, most intimate, I'd say most emotional of all of these things. J.R. Packer, theologian, he says this. He says, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers higher even than justification to be right with God the judge and he is is a great thing hallelujah but to be loved and cared for by God the father is greater in fact the purpose of justification is adoption God saves you so that you can become his child many many Christians love God and cherish his salvation the fact that their sins have been washed white as snow Many myths coming into intimate, son with a father, and it, often when it speaks about adoption, it uses the, the language of son, because in that days, the eldest son would get all the inheritance, okay? So you, you don't have to become a son, per se, but you become a child of God, a son of God. Are you enjoying your salvation? I think I'm declared righteous, my sins are not counted against me, hallelujah, but are you... Enjoying an intimacy with God. When you see people singing and crying and encountering God or just sitting still there knowing a deep peace. Whatever the expression is, but they clearly have intimacy with God. Are you enjoying that? Because that's what God has chosen you for, to be adopted and to brought in. I remember, I've told you this many times, there came a point in my Christian life where I deliberately changed my language so I could try and grab hold of this. So I would start to use words like, I love you, God. I cherish you, Father. I delight in you. It's a different language to just praise you, God. I honor you, God. I worship you, God. That's good. <laughs> and that's got to be there. When you pray, what's your language like? Do you ever pray, my Father? Or is it always Lord or King? And neither are wrong. Don't misunderstand me. But if there's an absence of praying to a father in heaven. There is something maybe richer and more for you to come into, this sense of adoption. Floyd McClung, who was a missionary leader, he used to say to his adopted child, I chose you specifically in contrast to other parents who just got what they were given. <laughs> okay? So hey, parents in the room, we just got what we were given, and it was wonderful. And it was wonderful. But when you're adopted, you can say to the child, I chose you specifically. Another example is um, uh, in school one day, a class, we're looking at a picture of a family, and there was one boy who looked a bit different. I think he was gingerhead, and the others weren't. And the children said, oh, he must have been adopted. And one girl pip- pipes up and said, well, I know what adoption is. And they said, and they said well, what is it? And she said, well, I grew in my mummy's heart, not in her womb. That's beautiful. That's beautiful, isn't it? Hey, listen, you grew... <laughs> I knew this would happen. Uh, you grew in your heavenly Father's heart before the foundation of the world. And in my earliest days, I had, my parents were wonderful. Uh, later in teen life, I broke up. My dad started drinking. I had a great foundation. Not all of you have. Um, and I get to say to my kids every night, "I love you when you're good. I love you when you're bad. I love you all the time because I'm your dad." And we were talking around the dinner table the other day. And I said, if you crash the car and burn the house down and do this, will you cease to be my daughter or my child? And the answer is, is no. Lord, may that never happen. <laughs> Don't test me, Lord. <laughs> the Lord has a way of getting preachers to live out their message. <laughs> Hold that one back, please. Um, you think, I grew in my father's heart. You know, it's, it's a different kind of, it's a, it's a chosen Before the foundation of the world, for intimacy, for delight, for closeness, for nearness, for family—not just for religious attendance, not even just for salvation—say just with all that for this. And one day it will come into culmination, won't it? When we when we see the Father and. Uh, We're praying for more and more adoptions amongst us. Come, Lord, because it's a gospel picture, isn't it? Isn't it a gospel picture? It's it's a picture that shows you what God has done in a a very unique kind of of way. So, number one, you're chosen. Number two, you're adopted. There's more to come. Number three, you are redeemed. Can you say redeemed? redeemed? Verse seven, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So to be redeemed brings all sorts of ideas to our to our minds, doesn't it? So um, you redeem a voucher, it's probably the most common Tesco, Tesco vouchers at Prezz, okay? You know, like here yeah, they come again, voucher people, you know. Or half-term at Pizza Hut. We've got little O2 codes and kids eat free at Pizza Hut for O2. Here's my voucher. Not once, not twice, got another voucher. Here we go. Um, we, we, it, it, it's when you produce something else in payment of something, in exchange. You know? Jesus redeemed you. He exchanged himself for you. If you want a summary of the gospel, Jesus in my place, on the cross, bearing the wrath of God, and now Jesus in heaven called me to be with him. Another way is you redeem yourself when you make I, I play sports when you make a howler and you redeem yourself. You the goalie gives away a penalty and then he saves a penalty or striker misses an open goal and then I don't play football, but I know that's the most common parlance. Or or something else. You know, maybe at at, at home you, you drop the ball on something, but then you do something great. You get to redeem yourself. You compensate for a previous failure. Jesus has Redeemed us. We can't compensate for our failures, can we? But Jesus has, in his perfection, in his obeying the Father, in taking us, and Jesus has redeemed us. I was speaking to someone else yesterday and they helped. Well, they didn't know they were helping me, but they said, I've paid off my mortgage. And I was like, bless you, brother. You are free from the shackles of that evil villain called whatever the mortgage provider is. But a lot of people would have mortgages and we are in debt. But when you make the final payment, you make that redemption payment, you are freed from the evil one forever. Hallelujah. Bless you, NatWest, or whoever it might be. But you're under a sense of obligation and slavery. But then it's paid off. You've redeemed it. You've dealt with the debt and now you are free. In the Old Testament, it would have been around slave markets where a slave owner would buy a slave and then say to the slave, you are now mine, but I give you your freedom. Redeemed and freed. And um, the, the Bible makes a lot about blood. Have you noticed that? You've probably just got through Leviticus if you're doing your Bible readings for the year and there's a, there's a lot of blood in there. One of, the, one of the archetypal pictures in the Bible of our redemption is the people when, of God when they're liberated from Egypt. Some of you will know the story, even if it's just from DreamWorks and not the Bible. You've you got the people of, of God in Egypt, and they're under slavery, and God sends a message saying, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, no, and then um, God tells his people to, to uh, kill a goat, a ram, a lamb, and put the blood on the doorposts of the house, households, and the, the angel of death comes over and um, passes over houses that have blood on them, because Payments already been made for their lives. And that, that's a picture that looks forward to the Lamb of God, Jesus, whose blood debt would pay for our life because life is in the blood. They, they, all these pictures. So when you read the Old Testament, it actually informs and makes richer the New Testament. When you read the New Testament, you go back to the altar. You think, wow, isn't, isn't this wonderful? It's all together. Now, when you talk about blood and death, there's, there's two perspectives, isn't there? One is it's really costly. So we've redeemed at great cost. But when you pay a lot for something, it's because it's also precious to you, isn't it? So not only is the weight of our sin, and it's, it's, it's a heavy cost. But the fact that we have been redeemed and Christ has paid for it means we are very, very, very precious. And, and worth it. Sometimes we need to remember ourselves that we're not worth it because of what we've done, but because God's choosing. He's lavished love upon us. And all of this happened when we were dead in our sin. <laughs> you know, you were born when you're offering nothing at the table except brokenness and more debt. <laughs> and, and, and He redeemed us. So we're chosen, we're adopted, we're redeemed. And then I've called this one, I don't know what to call this one, we're caught up. Can you say caught up? Or we brought into the mystery, verses 9 to 10, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth. If you are in Christ has been he's, he's made known to you the mystery of what he's up to in the world and where everything is going. You've been led into the mystery. You've been caught up into the purposes of God. And where you think history is going determines how you live, correct? So if you think we're just a bunch of atoms and chemically we're combining and as a stuff, something's happening and the future is just the inevitable end result of that which might end up being robots and not us anyway if that's what we are just atoms going there n- where's our hope for justice well, you know where's our hope for love you know we might as well just live for the moment because who knows what's going to happen um, with these chemicals in time and it, it affects how you live you know Paul says if there's no resurrection we should be pitied above all people Why? Well, because, come on, let's eat, drink and be married today because we don't know what the future holds. But hallelujah, we do, don't we? We've been caught up into these things. We don't really have choices if that is the case. Do you think the world's going to revolution? Do you think it's just going to burn up and dissolve one day? All of these things affect how you live. But when you see that God's purpose is to unite what we would call heaven and earth into one new heavens and one new earth where everything is redeemed, physical, spiritual, creation, all coming, and we will live in this glorious world that's way more tangible and physical than we think at times. We, we, we know what God is up to in the world. If you think history is going towards the kingdom of God, in which the whole cosmos are united in Christ, you will live differently. It gives meaning, and it gives hope, and it gives comfort. When cancer is rife, when you lose death, when things are broken, that's not the end of the story. Hallelujah. There is a making of all things good, and there is a making of all things new, and there is a future where we will fully enjoy that. But it also means we've been caught up in knowing God's doing that, and He's called us actually to partner with Him, hasn't He? The Lord's Prayer starts Our Father who art in heaven, hallelujah, let your kingdom come. I've got a um, helpful reminder in this. Uh, I, I live with a, a hip uh, disease slash deformity now. When I was young, my, hip, uh, my ball socket in my right hip crumbled. Um, it's called Perthes hip. And uh, so every doctor said that you need a hip replacement. And when you're young, that's not, not a good thing. One doctor said, you're young enough and the bone will grow back. Uh, so I was on crutches with a sling for, for months or whatever it was. And uh, thankfully, the bone grew back. Uh, But it was never a perfect fit, okay, so it's a bit like that, and legs are different legs there. And so I used to, I couldn't do things like rugby or cross-country for for many years, but um, I was able, you know, for someone with Percy's hip, I've been actually quite lucky and able to do much stuff. But I used to have bad back pain, really bad back pain, pretty consistently lower back pain, just from various muscle imbalances and things. And so I went to a weekend away with a previous church, and we're praying, Terry Virgo, some of you and I was praying, and he particularly felt to pray for people with legs of different length and leg pain and he prayed for me and you know I felt it and everyone gasped because they could see it but something happened and it looked like my leg grew which is wonderful and I've never had the same back pain since then hallelujah I still have a dodgy hip and so uh sometimes I just need to sit down and I can't kick too much, and I'm often in pain, and it's awkward. But I've I, I've been healed, and I've had a taste of what is to come. But I'm still living with a limp, as it were, and I'm praying that that would go, trusting God for that. But I live in these two worlds, man. I've been healed. I've had a foretaste of what is to come, and not live with that. But I still have a problem. I still have arthritic hip or whatever it is. I still have a hindrance. To, to me uh, at various times. Uh, and I'm saying, I want to taste more of what's to come. But I know where it's going. And, and that's the kind of life we live in now, don't we? We, 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 we taste some things. We've tasted our, our salvation in our spirits. And some of us have been healed in the room. Many, many people have been healed, not just from physical things, but mental, emotional, and, and other. But, but there'll come a day when everything is united and made as it should be. We live in the now and the... And they're not yet. But we have been caught up. We're not wondering where the world's going. So when we watch the news and are speaking about wars and famines, we read that news a long time ago, brothers and sisters, did we not? And it's devastating and it's heartbreaking. But we're not shaken by it. It's not news to us. And one day, it will all be made right. And true justice will come. And we know that. And so that doesn't just make us passive now. It motivates us to work for that now and to usher in that kingdom, right? So some people say you can be too heavenly minded to be any earthly good, okay? Well, Christian perspective is to be so heavenly minded that you're the most good on the earth. So Paul says, for me to live with Christ, to go and live with Christ uh, or, or, or to stay here, I don't know which I should choose. To be with Christ, if it was up to me, is preferable. I just get to be with Jesus forever. No more of this stuff. It's just no mixed motives, no selfishness, all the brokenness in my life, all the baggage. But then he says, but it's better for me to remain on your behalf because Christ has got a purpose for me. And he says in that context, me being with you will result in the joy and progress. He's like, I have tasted that world, but I know until I get there, my purpose is to be here and let you taste some of that. So Christians should be the most earthly, useful. Because we 've tasted what it could be and should be, and one day ultimately'll be. we have been caught up. Hallelujah. Maybe that's not something maybe that's not something you've ever thought about before. What's the, the purpose of God when I'm pouring a coffee or doing something that you know I, I, how does it fit into this? Well you, you, the, the spiritual reality is you've been caught up, brothers and sisters, and pray the Holy Spirit whispers that to us right now. And then finally, I think, <laughs> maybe it's a couple. More. Uh, we have been made heirs, or we've been given an inheritance. Can you say inheritance? Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We have been given this inheritance, and the richer your father is, or the richer your parents is, the better their inheritance, isn't it? I wouldn't really know, I don't <laughs> Um You know, But when someone receives an inheritance, it's this beautiful thing that they have done really nothing for, but simply that they've been a child for. But they have received this inheritance. And it's included not just under adoption, because we have inherited a family and a father, but we've also inherited a future. A future purpose, a future life with being God. We've been caught up into this. We have been given this inheritance. Adopted, redeemed, chosen, caught up, made heirs. And then fifthly, made secure. Can you say secure? Secure. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, some versions say some sense of down payment, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. So you have these images of guarantee or down payment, and you have this image of being sealed. In Paul's day, cargo would be sealed, or a letter, you know, we we would think of a seal from a king on a letter, which basically guaranteed delivery. People would do anything to make sure that it was protected, and the king's letter got preserved as the king wanted it to its destination. Sealed, kept safe, delivery assured, made safe. And Paul is saying here, you know, that's something of what it is. When you get saved at the moment of salvation, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's, there's a sense of seal. And as we heard last week, when this church was birthed, Paul found Christians and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Not like, have you been birthed by the Holy Spirit? But did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they say, we don't even know who the Holy Spirit is. And so praise from them, they get water baptized and then get filled with the Holy Spirit and they they speak in tongues and gifts start to come out of them. Life starts to come out of them. I had a, a friend who um, I worked in a, a boarding school for a while. And late into the evenings when I was on duty with another guy called uh, Simon. Um, you know, he had a big poster on his door. Nietzsche God is dead. Um, and so we would have endless debates uh, late into the night while we were waiting for the, uh, the older children to settle down. And we would go back and forth about creation and first causes. And, and he was way more intellectual than me. But, you know, I, I did my research and had a debate with him. And one day I just said to him, Simon, I can't explain it to you. I just know God is real. There's in me. There is no doubt. As young as I can remember, Jesus is as real to me as you are standing in front of me. And I wish you could know him like that. I mean, that had more impact than all my intellectual debates on him. But there's this ceiling. Do you know the ceiling? Do you? Do you just know that you know, that you know, that you know your gods and that he's got you? And when when we speak about the sense of down payment or or guarantee, it's when you make like your first payment on the house, right? (laughs) Or a car or something. It's You get hold, you take possession of it. But it's also a guarantee that you will continue to pay the full amount and gain full possession of it. You know? And so the life of the Spirit in your heart is something like that. It's this down payment, it's a guarantee. God birthed something of the life of the Spirit in your heart, and He's saying, Hey, He has, a, he has the beginning of it, but I want you to be assured I'm going to bring you through. I'm going to, I'm going to bring you all the way through. You're going to get the full inheritance. Of it. So we're faced with a couple of questions then. We need to ask ourselves, well, am I tasting this now, <laughs> given what is to come? So if I think there's a glorious future to come, and Scripture tells me, am I, do I feel I have a deposit? Am I tasting this now? Or am I not really tasting it, and so there's something more for me? Or are we satisfied? And Because we don't think the down payment speaks of anything greater to come. So when did you last know these truths, and I would say, bought alive by the Holy Spirit in your heart? And if we're looking back to something that happened 20, 30 years ago, 10, 5 years ago, that's a wonderful then. But there's this life of the Spirit in our hearts now, who takes chosen off the pages of Scripture and lights it in your heart. The spirit who takes adopted off the pages of scripture and births it in your soul. The spirit, the, the spirit who takes redeemed as a mental, yes, I understand I am, to a life-giving, hallelujah. <laughs> freely I've received, freely I'm going to give. The spirit who takes all these things I've spoken about. The purposes of God being caught up. And it takes the understanding and just brings it alive. Seals something in you. Gives a down payment of the fullness of it. And so as we come to an end, what I want to do as we finish in a few moments is I want to pray for us just to be filled with the life of the Holy Spirit. So that these things, some of them are alive to me, to you. Others you think, oh God, I long for more. Chosen, adopted, redeemed, caught up, made heirs. Made secure. And then the scripture says he lavished all of this on us in all wisdom. God, as someone said in the prayer meeting before the service today, God knew what he was doing. You know, you didn't just get brought along because, you know, you were in the right place at the right time. God did it with all wisdom. And one of the points of all of this, in fact, Paul focuses on this one in verse. 5 and, and, and verse 6, verse 13, it says to the praise of his glory or to the praise of his glorious grace. So when you come to worship, we praise his glorious grace and all of us are not in that place where it's just bubbling over in my heart on a Sunday morning because I've had nothing better to do than just, well, some of us just walk in and like, feel a million miles away from God and had a clash in the car or at home and it never happens, of course, Um And as we sing to the praise of his glorious grace, our hearts start to get alive. And so I long just to pray. Yeah, thanks, Nick, coming up. And we're going to have communion as well. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray for us in a few moments. And there's a communion station there and at the back on the two sides. And as you come to the bread, so if you are, I've never said this before, but today, if you are a repentant Christian, this is for you, okay? If you're not a Christian, you are invited in. But you need to call Christ as your Lord and give him your sin and take his righteousness first. And I would love to help you with that. And if you're a Christian and you just think, I know I'm dishonoring God. But I'm just not motivated to do anything about it. Get right with God before you go to the table. Okay? There's a somberness in the midst of delight. And it's called a, it's called a table because you're invited in to get a taste of what is to come. When the wedding feast of the lamb is the, the language that scripture. You come to bread because it's food that sustains you and strengthens you and nourishes you. These truths do the same. Ultimately, that's Jesus. As you come to the wine or the juices we have at you, you come to the life of the Spirit who brings a liberty and a joy. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It it signifies this new wine to come. Signifies the blood of Christ that washes us of all our sins. Hallelujah. And so I'm just going to pray. I'm going to invite us to respond. So let's just for a moment be still and, um, uh, and just welcome the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for glorious truths. Citizen, don't don't, don't be passive. Let me pray with me. So as I say these things, just say yes in your heart. You can whisper it now. Thank you for truths and blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And I ask you, dear Holy Spirit... You would come now into this room and into every heart and into every life. And you would take words and bring warmth and life in our hearts to them. Pray for your revelation right now. And some of you, there's been one or two of the things I've said. You just think, chosen, oh Lord, adopted, I've got a father, I tell you what, I've not had a present father since I was 14, biologically, but I have been more fathered than I have ever known, it's been one of the greatest redemptive privileges of my life, and the brokenness to see the contrast, Some of you need to press in to connecting with God as your father. And you know that? Find someone who can help you. Come and speak to us if we can. Lord, I want to pray for the purposes of God to be birthed in our hearts. That the future hope we have to not just be a theological statement or a mystery we find too confusing, but a, a sense of reality that we lay hold of and we find hope and comfort you know scripture says our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us in a, a glory that far outweighs them all you think wow it's not dismissing the reality of our pains and trials now but it's saying compared to what is to come when we take hold of that we're able to weather a storm we're able to see that our days are but passing we wither they are short brothers and sisters compared to what is to come if you would not call yourself a Christian or you think I would say I am but I'm not sure I've grasped what it is to follow Jesus I come every Sunday I feel like I'm I want to be here, but I feel like I'm outside. I feel like I'm looking in, and I've got this thing I'm holding on to, and I'm not letting go. I just want more. I would love to pray with you. Come and find me during the communion time. I would love to pray with you. So what I would love you to do is when you are ready, just go and grab communion. At the three stations, The, the band will be playing for us and we'll come back. We've got a little bit of time to worship. If you need to pray with someone, we're a family here. Find someone to pray with you. If you want to be alone, that's absolutely fine. Let's worship the Lord Jesus together.